now, time for seafood news. Hello, hello, seafood fans, and welcome back to the Seafood News Podcast. I'm Amanda Buckle, and this week's episode is brought to you by the Erneberry Executive Conference, now the premier event for the seafood industry. The Executive Conference, taking place at the Bellagio in Las Vegas from April 28th to the 30th, is expanding this year, and for the first time, the Seafood Import Workshop is being integrated into the schedule. Take advantage of early bird pricing by registering before Thursday, February 28th. Visit earnaberry.com executive for more information. Now, I am flying solo this week, but I still have a lot of news to cover, so let's get the seafood party started. Last week, Canadian Fisheries Minister Wilkinson announced changes to right whale protection rules in the Gulf of St. Lawrence for 2019. The changes will reduce the closed area to all fishing to half the size it was in 2018, and it will change how dynamic closures work in shallow waters. This system of dynamic closures shuts down fishing for 15 days in an area where whales are spotted. The changes this year mean the shutdown will not apply to shallow waters of less than 20 fathoms. Closures will occur in shallow waters only if whales are actually sighted there. These measures were developed in consultation with harvesters and fishing communities. Both harvesters and whale conservation groups expressed satisfaction with the changes. And this comes after 12 right whales died in Canadian waters in 2017, triggering a major conservation response of closures and ship lane restrictions in 2018. But fortunately, last year, no right whales died in Canadian waters. Moving along, for the first few months after the July imposition of tariffs on U.S. lobster by China in retaliation for a U.S.-initiated trade war, it appeared that the U.S. industry might weather the storm through a combination of sales to other markets, increased U.S. sales, and robust sales to Canada. With November import data, we now have a clearer picture of how the lobster markets are changing, both for live and frozen product, and the picture for U.S. lobster tail uh, buyers is mixed. More live U.S. lobsters being sold to Canada, and at the same time, less live lobster, tails, and meat are being sent from Canada back to the U.S. than would be expected. In the July to November period, U.S. live exports to Canada rose by 17%, yet live imports during this period, uh, the products that are coming live across the border, fell by 21%. At the same time, imports of meat were down 7%, and imports of tails were up 7.5% for July to November. This suggests that live lobster from the U.S. is being used in Canada in new ways and uh, based on the trade flow. These obviously involve uh, you know, more shipments to China and the EU, but there also appears to be less meat and tail production since it is not proportional to the live product being sent to Canada. Since July, lobster tail prices, um, and we're talking like you know, American lobster four ounce, have risen 10% to $19.75. Um, you know, meat prices, meanwhile, have fallen further and are, are now trading at $17.25, which is down 13% since July. Now, the upshot is that uh, it's in current pricing, you know, where meat is priced $2.50 below tails. It makes it very difficult for producer, uh, producers to make processed lobster products. Uh, meanwhile, the trade in live products does not look good for the U.S., uh, since July, there are 21% fewer Canadian live lobsters coming here than during the same months of 2017. There are fewer U.S. lobsters going to China, and there are fewer U.S. lobsters going to Southern Europe. And there are more U.S. live lobsters going to Canada. So after experiencing a boom in new markets, the U.S. lobster industry now faces a choice of selling domestically or selling to Canada for the live trade. This dilemma may have an impact on U.S. lobster short prices in the spring. 
In other news, November imports were released last Wednesday, a little over a month late following the 35-day government shutdown. November imports of warm water shrimp products were 5.2% higher than in November 2017. The year-to-date total is nearly 1.4 billion pounds, 4.8% higher than the January to November 27 total. India, Indonesia, and Vietnam, and China all shipped more shrimp to the U.S. in the month of November. Ecuador, Thailand, and Mexico shipped less shrimp. Increases were seen in all categories, headless shell on, which includes easy peel, peeled, cooked, and breaded. Keeping things going, a new bill submitted by a number of Washington senators would ensure the safe and productive cultivation of shellfish in Wallapa Bay and Grace Harbor with the use of pesticide to control burrowing shrimp. The only issue, a team of biologists from NOAA and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service have studied the use of the pesticide in the past and have deemed it too risky to use. For those unfamiliar with the issue at hand, Washington oyster growers have been struggling to deal with the native shrimp that burrow and loosen the soil. The loosened soil causes oysters to sink and suffocate, so naturally the industry wants a solution. Using this pesticide was first introduced in 2015 and caused a stir because it was unclear how the chemical would impact marine waters. A field trial highlighted by NMFS ultimately revealed that the pesticide not only killed the burrowing shrimp, but also other creatures like crabs. Researchers sprayed the pesticide in a field trial and discovered that 93 of 141 Dungeness crabs in a sample area had died 24 hours later. An additional 44 crabs had seizures. The remaining four crabs were healthy. While use of the chemical was put on a hold three years ago, a new bill would allow the pesticide to be used by this May. Oyster growers say that they need the pesticide to kill the shrimp that are destroying their shellfish beds. Um, a number of groups, uh, environmental groups, are fighting back. According to the Associated Press, the Center for Food Safety, Western Environment Law Center, Coalition to Protect uh, Puget Town Habitat, and Center for Biological Diversity have all filed papers to intervene. In other news, a Canadian cannabis company is using tilapia to grow marijuana. Right now, Green Relief is the only medical cannabis provider in the world that uses aquaponics. Breaking it down simply, the fish they raise, which is tilapia in this case, uh, produce waste. Beneficial microbes and bacteria then convert that waste into plant nutrients, and those plants filter water that returns to the fish. According to the company, it produces 10 times the crop yield per acre and uses 90% less water than conventional farming. In addition, their crop, which is medical cannabis, is considered to be healthier than organic since it's produced without the need of fertilizers. Now, Green Relief was founded in 2013 by former concrete uh, contractor Warren Bravo and his friend Steve LeBlanc. It took approximately two and a half years for the company to be able to fine-tune their pesticide-free growing process and now, at any given time, they're raising 6,000 tilapia and 4,500 plants. But what makes Green Reliefs uh, you know, even more impressive is the fact that they don't eat their tilapia or make money off them. Instead, once the fish reach market size, they're donated to the Second Harvest Food Charity, which delivers the fish to local shelters who prepare the fish to be that night's meal. The company reportedly donates 300 market-sized tilapia every five weeks. Pretty cool. And finally, I have to talk about Chris Pratt. Last week, the Jurassic World and Guardians of the Galaxy actor took to Instagram to post a picture in front of the, a neon Bubba Gump shrimp sign, so it is totally fair game to talk about him on the Seafood News podcast. Um, turns out that prior to making it in Hollywood, Chris Pratt used to be a server at the restaurant. 
And he captioned the photo, 20 years ago, I was a waiter at Bubblegum Shrimp Company. Every time I go back, I'm reminded of the thousands of shrimp I ate off of people's plates on the way back to the kitchen. Please tip your server, leave at least 20%, also leave shrimp. Now, I used to work at a Charlie Brown Steakhouse and I never ate food off of anyone's plate because I think that's weird, but hey, it's Chris Pratt. Um, so Pratt actually worked at the restaurant in Maui and was living in a van when he was approached by actress and director, uh, director Ray Don Wong. Uh, she, he said that she was sitting at one of his tables and said, hey, you're cute, do you act? And then four days later, he was in Los Angeles. Um, the director ended up casting him in his first movie, the 2000 horror comedy short, Cursed Part 3. Such your fun seafood story of the week. Thanks for listening, and I will see you back here next week. Thank you.